This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. Green and Gold History here on Ace Cast with our Ace historian, David Feldman. And I love this uh, top 10 list. It's very creative. It's that guy was an Oakland A. I absolutely love this idea, Feldy. Yeah, well, it sort of came up, you know, last week uh, with the passing of Don Sutton. And a lot of people were like, Don Sutton played for the A's? <laughs> and you know what? There, there were a lot of great players that spent some time in the green and gold. And, you know, we're not talking about some of the lesser guys, guys like Johnny Master, like, like 20 games in 1987. We're talking about superstar players who spent a little bit, a little bit of their career in Oakland. All right, so I, I think it was last week. I mean, let's face it. We're we're watching so much video now because we got nothing to do, right? You go back and you look at stuff, and I'm always scouring the A's website and MLB.com. And, you know, it was just funny the other day. I saw this highlight. I don't even know. I don't even remember what game it was from. But it was uh, Kevin Kuzminoff making a play. And it's like, they're not booing. They're coozing. <laughs> It's uh, it's just it's amazing the amount of players it, that that really bounce around in modern day baseball that can play for so many different teams. But like, like the last guy you're gonna think about lately is Kevin Kuzminoff playing third base for the A's. Kuz, Kuz making a big play in Dallas Braden's perfect game. Yeah, uh, you know that the I was probably watching that, but I've have you ever watched so many highlights in your life? Yeah, it's it's amazing now. There's this treasure chest of highlights that, that MLB has made available too. I mean, that's part of it. It's, you know, for the longest time, getting rights to show any of this stuff was impossible. And now MLB started their MLB vault, and anybody can go and you can look in the vault and, and look for a play, a certain play you can do a search for, and you can tweet it out to the masses. And now it's, you know, between MLB Network and NBC Sports California and Bay Area showing old games and old clips. There's so much video that we're seeing now. There's so much video that we haven't seen before, which is which has been fantastic. Uh, and it's just it's just fun. It's so much fun to see, for me especially, to see videos from the 70s and the 80s, uh, things that we just don't get to see very often. Now, obviously, people know of you as our A's historian and also what you do as a Major League Baseball scorekeeper, but you also work in television and you work in the trucks. I got to think now for guys that produce and what you guys do in the truck, this has got to help you guys long term having more access to, to highlights and video. Yeah, 100%. I mean, part of storytelling is being able to show people maybe something they haven't seen before. And it's just not, it's just not in 
in baseball, but we also see it in college basketball and the NBA. We're seeing more footage, more things being uncovered and being accessible to us that we can show. And to be able to show things that, that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago, it's brilliant, right? And, you know, the sad passing of, of Hank Aaron, right? But we've all seen the 715th home run. Uh, we've seen that video now for almost 50 years. Uh, and for me, I, w- I was six years old when it happened, but I remember it clear as day. Uh, I mean, maybe one of my first baseball memories that have stuck with me forever and ever. But now with some of these specials that have been playing on, we're seeing Hank Aaron footage from the 60s and the late 50s, stuff we haven't seen before. And you see what an unbelievable ball player he was. I mean, definitely I can see the stats and I've heard the stories. I know a lot about Henry Aaron, but to actually see him and see what an athlete he was, I mean, it, it's brilliant. It, it just blows your mind now being able to see this, this footage that we haven't seen before. Yeah, only two guys have special rooms at the Baseball Hall of Fame special wings. That's Babe Ruth. And that's Hank Aaron, and nobody else has that. All right, uh, let's do your honorable mention. That guy was an A? So I'm going to go in the future, and let's say we're doing this show in 2040. We're doing A's cast 2040, um, and we're doing this list. You might have guys like John Lester on that list. You might have Ray Durham. You might have Ben Sheets. You might have Mike Piazza. but I think those guys are pretty current and we all kind of remember them. They were all part of our, you know, late age history so far over the last 10 years. So I'm leaving those guys out, but from some of the older guys, uh, you know, Willie Randolph, the great Yankee second baseman, he was the eighth second baseman in 1990. He was the second baseman in the 90 world series. Uh, Hall of Famer Billy Williams spent two years with the A's. Tito Fuente, who we all know now is a giant broadcaster on the Spanish side. He spent some time in the green and gold. And Rico Cardi and Willie Horton were A's back in 1977. So just some of the A's, uh, short-timers that didn't make this list of that guy was an A. (laughs) That guy guy was an A? Number 10. (laughs) So number 10, this is the most recent one. And and I still kind of find it hard to believe that he was an A. But this is 2009. Nomar Garcia Parra. (laughs) Nomar. Nomar. Nomar came to the A's, and this is a five-time All-Star with the Red Sox. You know, after a year and a half with the Cubs, he goes to the Dodgers, plays three years with the Dodgers, an All-Star, comeback player of the year, and just one of the great names of baseball in the first decade of the century, right? But before the 2009 season, the A's made some interesting roster decisions, and they decided they were going to have a platoon at first base of Nomar Garcia Parra and Jason Giambi. And this is also the year they brought in Orlando Cabrera to play short. They made a trade for Matt Holliday. Uh, but Nomar, he obviously wasn't the same Nomar. Uh, he didn't have the power that he had as a youngster. He suffered a right calf strain. He missed all of May. He strains it again at the end of May when he first came back. He's out again for another month. Um, only played 65 games. Hits 281. And he can still hit. Just hits for average. He had no power. Wasn't able to drive the ball. Uh, but you know, had a great night when he finally made his return to Boston. This was July 6th. Gets a standing ovation leading off the second inning. And just, it's emotional. I mean, the fans love Nomar. Um, and that was also the night Brian Anderson threw a two-hit shutout, which was pretty awesome. Um, my other favorite Nomar tidbit 
Uh, he made his major league debut at the Coliseum in 1996 with the Red Sox. He had his first hit. It was a home run off John Wasden. So his last career home run comes at the Coliseum off Ryan Roland Smith. His last hit comes at the Coliseum. So his last game at the Coliseum. So kind of a bookend to start in your career in the same stadium and have your first and last hit in the same place, which is pretty cool. Would he be on that list of guys that look like they're going to have a Hall of Fame career and then just fell off a cliff? Yeah, definitely. I thought, you know, that golden age of shortstops in the late 90s, right? You had Nomar in Boston. You had A-Rod in Seattle. You had Jeter in New York. And you had a young Miguel Tejada in Oakland. And this, these were the guys. This was, this was the shortstop class. We're talking about the shortstops now. Shortstops in the late 90s. They were, they were breaking the mold. And Nomar, he was fantastic. And then he just sort of dropped off, right? The trade to the Cubs, he started kind of had a dip in his career. Again, a little rejuvenation with the Dodgers, but never was able to sustain that magic he had early in his career. He was. He was going to be a Hall of Fame player. There was no doubt after you saw his first five, six seasons. Fortunately, it didn't happen. Number nine. Number nine, Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker played his final two seasons with the A's in 1985 and 86. You know, and everybody knew Dusty Baker from his Dodger days, from go back to the Braves days when his teammates with, with Henry Aaron. Uh, after a long run with the Dodgers, he played one year with San Francisco in 84. Uh, again, hit for a high average, but no power. But the A's needed at that time a right-handed outfielder and a first baseman. Um, they had they traded Ricky Henderson, so Dave Collins was going to be, be their left fielder, and Bruce Bochte was a first baseman. Both left-handed hitters, they wanted a right-handed hitting counterpart for that. Um, and Dave Kingman was already a DA, so you were set there. So Dusty actually had a really good year with the A's in 85. In 111 games, he had 268 with 14 bombs, 52 runs batted in. He had more walks and strikeouts. And he had really one of the most signature hits that season in Kansas City in the top of the ninth. The A's were throwing 2-1, and he hit the two-out three-run homer off closer and third mayor at the time, Dan Quisenberry. It was, it was a great moment for Dusty. Um, in 86, his playing time is more sporadic. You know, at this point, Jose Canseco is getting most of the time in, in left field. Uh, Dwayne Murphy's in center. Mike Davis is in, in right. There's really no room for Dusty Baker. Uh, he only plays 83 games and he hits 240. Uh, four home runs. It's his last home run on July 18th, and it's really just sort of peters out from there. But Dusty Baker, if you were a baseball card collector at the time, the Mother of Cookies baseball cards, there's great. Mother Cookies baseball cards of Dusty Baker in that A's uniform. And, man, Dusty to this day can wear a uniform, and he looked sweet in that A's uniform in the mid-'80s. Number eight. Number eight is another Hall of Famer. That's Tim Raines. Tim Raines was an Oakland A in 1999. Um, didn't play a lot. Uh, he was 39 years old at the time. He's coming off being a part-time player for the Yankees. I uh, won two World Series titles with the Yankees. Uh, but the A's bring him in, also with Tony Phillips, bring some veteran leadership to a, a team that's sort of on the rise, right? You, you had a young Eric Chavez, you had Miguel Tejada, you had Jason Giambi. Uh, you had in the minors at this point, you have Tim Hudson, you have Mark Mulder. You, you, you have a real good feeling you want to bring in a veteran core. And they bring in Tim Raines uh, to be a part-time player. You know, he had one signature moment 
he had a leadoff home run off Randy Johnson in Arizona in a game that Tim Hudson uh, defeated the big unit two to nothing. This was on the same day that the U.S. women's soccer team wins the World Cup. This is the Brandy Chastain, Chastain game. Same day. Tim Raines is the leadoff homer, but those are still ill. Uh, I mean, kind of his career looks like it's going to be over. They can't figure out what's wrong with him. And it took the A's doctors a few weeks to figure out that Tim Raines is suffering from lupus. Uh, he has misses the rest of the 99 season, all of 2000, and unbelievably comes back in 2001 with the Expos, his original team, and then is traded to the Orioles and plays with his son, Tim Raines Jr., doing a Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. thing. They played four games together. His career's still not done. The next year, 2002, he plays 98 games with the Marlins at age 42. Well, Tim Raines in 1999, he was an Oakland A. Yeah, that, yeah. Tim Raines is an Oakland A. Wow, number seven. Number seven is Goose Gossage. And if you were a kid growing up in the 70s, or just a baseball fan in the 70s, when Goose Gossage was the closer for the Yankees, he was the scariest thing going. He would take the mound, and he had the big Fu Manchu. He had the, it looked like blowing smoke out of his ears and out of his mouth. He was just so scared. And the A's could never do anything with him. Uh, but by 1992, he's now 40 years old, and he's bounced around a bit. Cubs, Giants, Texas Rangers. Bruce Gossett was a Texas Ranger. Um, he'll be on their list. Uh, but in 92, the A's sign him. He's going to be part of this bullpen with, with X still your closer. So Gossage is more of a setup guy, and he's, he actually pitches pretty well. Over the first 30 games, he has a 2.84 ERA, but injuries come down, and they shut him down. Unbelievably, he resigns with the Yankees for the 93 season. Now he's 41, uh, and he gets off to an unbelievable start. In his first 11 games out of the pen, he's 3-0 with an 0.55 ERA. Hitters are hitting 132 against him. Has a three-inning save. I mean, this is this is vintage Goose Gossage. And then it all falls apart. The last 28 games, 6.61 ERA, goes 1-5. Peter's hitting over 300 against him. He looks like he's done. But Goose Gossage signs the next year in 94 to pitch for the Mariners. And actually pitches 36 games for the Mariners for an ERA of just over four. But for 92 and 93, Goose Gossage came out of the Oakland A's bullpen. Yeah, we had Goose on, and he uh, he enjoyed his time here in Oakland. All right, number six. Number six, maybe one of the great baseball nicknames of the 70s, the Penguin, Ron Say. Wow. Ron Say, you know, longtime Dodger, then a Cub. But in 87, he comes to Oakland. And uh, the idea at the time was he was going to be the right-handed DH. He's going to platoon with Reggie Jackson. Um, he's 39 years old, uh, but he showed pretty good power in 85, not so much in 86. But the A's thought they could, could find some magic. You look back at Ron Say's career, I mean, he was so consistent. He was 20 homers, 80 to 100 RBIs every season with the Dodgers and the Cubs there in the, in the 70s and the early 80s. Um, I think he gets shortchanged because in an era of third baseman, He's in the same league with one of the greatest third basemen of all time in Mike Smith. And so Ron Say sort of gets forgot about how good and consistent he was. I mean, he was never thought of as a Hall of Famer. I mean, he didn't have quite those numbers, but he was right there as an all-star type player year after year. 
Unfortunately, with the A's, in 87, A was pretty much gone for him by that point. He's only a 221. He had four homers. He gets released at the All-Star break. Uh, the A's bring back Steve Henderson to be uh, the right-handed hitter now in the outfield of the DH with, with Reggie. But Ron Say for 45 games at Oakland A in 1987. Yeah, that, that. You want to talk about out of left field on that one. <laughs> Ron Say as an Oakland A. Wow. <laughs> uh, number five. Number five, he's a fellow we talked about a little bit before. He's been in the news lately, unfortunately, because he passed away, and that's Dick Allen. Dick Allen, one of the, the great players in the National League in the in the sixties with the Phillies and then the Cardinals and then winning MVP with the White Sox, but obviously controversy always surrounded Dick Allen. Uh, and at the end of seventy sixties he didn't have a job. But before the seventy seven season, Charlie Finley makes an announcement that Dick Allen's gonna come play for the A's. Uh, Charlie Finley didn't tell Dick Allen this was happening, he just made the announcement. Um, but unbelievably, Dick Allen shows up for spring training. He, he heard the news from Charlie and shows up. Charlie Finley eventually does sign him. Uh, he wears the, his hometown on the back of the jersey. He doesn't wear Allen. He has Wampum from Wampum, Pennsylvania, on the back of his jersey. And he gets off to an unbelievable start with the A's. In the first 19 games, he's 339, drives in 20 runs. But the thing about Dick Allen, he didn't want to be a DH. And he made it very clear to everybody involved he was not going to DH. So now the third game of the season, Jack McKee, the A's manager, pencils in Dick Allen as his DH. And Dick Allen refuses to play. He refuses to play. They actually have to pinch hit for him his first time up uh, by Jerry Tab had to pinch hit for him in the first inning. But Dick Allen refuses. So after that, Dick Allen's only a first baseman. But after that great start, he's Numbers start to dwindle. He's only 188 over his last 35 games. He's not happy. He would like to DH him a little bit more. And finally in Chicago, in a game that refuses to play, uh, he's in the locker room during the game taking a shower, and Charlie Finley actually happens to wander through the locker room and sees him, not, in the, not on the bench, but in the clubhouse, taking a shower, and Charlie Finley says that's it and releases him that day. And that was the end of Dick Allen's career with the A's. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? His numbers are really close. As far as the production, his, you know, his OPS, how he was as a feared hitter, he's really close. For me, and I'm a small hall guy, I don't think he makes it, but I understand the argument. Um, I like the fact that he was controversial, that he pushed the norm, that he stood up for himself. Um, there's something groundbreaking about that, especially in that time when you guys had cursed blood. Dick Allen, these were these African-American players who were pushing the norm. I think there's something about that that almost could push him over the top, but just on baseball alone, I think he falls a little short. Number four. Number four is Tommy John. Tommy John was 42 years old, released by the Angels, and the A's signed him in 1985. Tommy John, the man that the surgery is named after, pitched for the A's, made 11 starts for the A's, didn't go particularly well. Two and six with a 6.19 ERA, and hitters beat him around for a 330 average. But here's the thing he had a start against the Yankees where he pitched seven shutout innings and outpitched Ron Guidry and got the win that night. So you're 42 years old, 
but the Yankees saw that. And the Yankees signed him in 1986. He ends up pitching four more years with the Yankees. So he was age 46. Tommy John, this little short snippet of his A's career in the A's rotation in 1985, gets him four more years with the Yankees. And think about that, pitching in his age 46. The guy who had the arm surgery, the first ever Tommy John surgery, back in 74, ends up pitching that long, compiles 288 wins in his career, um, never quite got the Hall of Fame love, kind of bounced around between 21 to 32% uh, on the ballot. But, boy, Tommy John, short of his career, but it, but it propelled him for four more seasons. Yeah, he's got, like, the record most no decisions. Um, he easily could have won 300 games. Not only the surgery, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, number well, three. Number three, a very, very short age career. But that's another Hall of Famer, Orlando Cepeda. Yeah, the baby bull played for the A's. He got three at-bats with the A's in 1972. Uh, the A's actually acquired him from the Braves for another guy who's in a major list, Denny McClain, former Cy Young winner, uh, two-time Cy Young winner, 31-game winner. He was a short time with the A's. The A's traded Cepeda for Denny McClain. Uh, Orlando had terrible knees, but Finley thought he could be a good pinch hitter. He only had three at-bats with the A's, went 0 for 3, and then had to shut it down with bad knees. But he ends up signing with the Red Sox in 1973 to be their DH and becomes DH of the year, hitting 20 bombs and driving in 86. But for only three at-bats with the A's, Orlando Cepeda. How many at-bats? Three. Three pinch hit appearances. <laughs> that guy was an A? <laughs> he's one of the great examples my god all right number two number two is as guy kind of inspired this list and that was don sutton part of that 85 rotation 40 years old uh made 29 starts for the age and actually had a stretch in may an 11 start stretch where he went six and one with a 1.90 era and almost made the all-star team uh, jay howe ended up being the eighth selection but it could easily have been don sutton um, had a little dip in July, but then finds his groove again in August, and he's actually traded to the Angels in September. This is even after the trade deadline. The Angels are in a pennant race with the Mariners, and they want or with the Royals, and they want to get a chance to to make the playoffs. And they thought Don Sutton could be that that key part, but he actually goes on to stay with the Angels in '86 and '87 before finishing his career with the Dodgers in '88. And you know, Don Sutton with that A's team in '85, he had young starters. Chris Cotteroli and Tim Burstis and Bill Kruger and a really young Jose Rio. To have a guy like Don Sutton around to help teach them how to be a pitcher in the major leagues. It was only one year, but he had an impact on the years. You know, whenever you go back and you look at these old Hall of Fame pitchers, the amount of starts that they would get a year, when you start talking 40 to 37, just the amount of work and the amount of innings that they gave you, you really go back and appreciate what they were able to do. Now that we live in a world where we're happy if some guys only give us five, the fact that you got a guy, how valuable is a guy taking the ball 36, 37 times, giving you at least seven innings almost every single outing, the value those guys gave you back in the day, beyond just the 300 wins, just the amount of productivity, what they would be worth today. Exactly. You look at Don Sutton, for example, the 200-inning mark every year, the consistency that you know you could write him in and he was going to give you that many innings every season. Now, obviously, they're not asking 
as much of starters today as they did in the past. And I think that's wrong. I think you should. If you have a guy who's that good and get that many outs, the more the more energy you get out of him, the better. But that's what's so important about Don Sutton. Yeah, he was a compiler of numbers, you know, his strikeout numbers and his wins. But they're saying something that you can be that good for that long to be able to get 200 innings when you're 40 years old, 41 years old, and still put up those numbers. Yeah, maybe you're not the, the ace of the staff anymore, but to do it that well for that long, there is something to that. All right. Number one, that guy was an A. That guy was an A, and that's Willie McCovey. Willie McCovey was an Oakland A for 11 games in 1976. He was 38 years old. He had actually uh, was starting his third season with the Padres. That played three seasons with the Padres. Uh, and it didn't look good. His, his knees were shot. Uh, he couldn't really generate any power. Uh, the A's purchased him from the Padres on August 30th. This is for the stretch run of September of 76. The A's are eight games behind the Royals. Uh, they think they can catch him. And having Willie McCovey's big left-handed bat in the lineup, they thought, would be huge. Um, but he's got seven starts at DH. He only hits 208. He's five for 24 with just five singles. Again, his knees are just killing him. He gets three pinch hit at bats after September 11th, but he just can't be on the field, and he really was no factor. The A's fell just short two and a half games out. And they thought his career was done. But in the offseason, he signs with the Giants, and he actually thinks he's feeling pretty well. He becomes the 1977 comeback player of the year with the Giants. 280, 28 bombs, 86 RBIs. I mean, he plays until he retired, what, midway in the 1980 season and was still an effective hitter. Charlie Finley was right. His instincts were right with Willie McCovey. It's just Willie McCovey needed a whole offseason to heal those knees that gave him trouble for the rest of his life. Giants really benefited. Short A's career, much like Orlando Cepeda, but Willie McCovey, Hall of Famer. He was an A for 11 games. You got five Hall of Famers on this list, which is pretty unbelievable. All right, let's run them, run them down again from 10 to 1. Uh, number 10, I can't believe this guy was in A, Nomar Garcia Parra. Number 9, Dusty Baker. Number 8, Tim Raines. Number 7, Goose Gossage. Number six, Ron Say. Number five, Dick Allen. Number four, Tommy John. Number three, Orlando Cepeda. Number two, Don Sutton. And number one, Willie McCovey. I think my favorite on this list is Ron Say. <laughs> right? I mean, you just don't, I mean, you just think of the, you, you think of one of the great infields, you know, as we were going up. You know, Russell at short, you got Say at third, you got Lopes and Garvey on the right side. I mean, you just, they were together for, I can't even remember how long they were together. It's just hard to think of Ron Say. I, I do remember a little bit of a cub, but just Ron Say is an A. You're just like, I just can't see it. Yeah, it, it doesn't place, right? It just, it's wrong, right guy, wrong uniform. But, but Ron Say, and they had such high hopes for him going into that 87 season. They thought he was going to really platoon with Reggie. They were going to get 40 homers combined out of the two of them. Unfortunately, Ron, say the Penguin, power was gone. So with the passing of Hank Aaron, you know, we you go back and you look at his numbers and just, you know, he should have the most home runs. He has the most RBIs. He's third most in hits. 
He was a good fielder, had a good arm, could run the bases. I mean, the guy could do it all. He hit in the postseason. He was just a monster. I still can't even – it's hard to put my mind around that he hit 362 in his career against Sandy Koufax. I just want to ask you point blank, and I'm not going to question your answer. If you had to pick one guy in the history of baseball, and according to you, you're going to say, this guy is the greatest player to have ever lived, who would you pick? So I never saw Willie Mays, really, uh, before my time. I obviously never saw Babe Ruth or Ted Williams. I saw Hank Aaron. And and I, I've said this probably since I was six years old, that Hank Aaron is the best baseball player I ever saw, um, just because he could do everything on the field. And I saw him even when he was a little older. Right? But the thing that always amazed me was he played second base for a little bit. He was a great outfielder, great arm, all the tools. Of the guys that I've seen, I mean, Mike Trout in our era right now is as close as you can get. He can do everything on a baseball field. That's what Hank Aaron did. Hank Aaron did everything on a baseball field. And then as you grew, as I grew up, and I'm sure you went through this too, we learned about the other things he had to deal with. Things that as a six-year-old, I had no idea was going on. I had no clue about it. And then to learn about the letters that he received and the hatred that came his way and to still produce at the level that he did, that is that puts him over the top for me. I mean, what steely nerves and focus you can have to, to do what you do when, when that's surrounding you, unreal. Yeah, I heard a great story today about how, you know, looking back at Hank Aaron's career, that when the Braves moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, this was really the first time, because this wasn't happening in college football down there. Obviously, Georgia and Georgia Tech have been playing for a long time. But when the Braves moved down to Atlanta, this was the first time that you had white people and black people actually come together in a stadium and come together and watch sporting events. And everybody was there because they were there to see Hank Aaron. I mean, Hank Aaron helped bring unity. Hank Aaron helped, you know, uh, shrink a divide. I mean, he was a healer. It's amazing what his career was. And, you know, we don't think of it as a big market, but what he did in the South as a professional athlete was a real big deal. It, it was huge. I, I think I've been thinking about this lately about, you know, growing up, I grew up in Walnut Creek in the East Bay. And I think about representation from our sports teams and, and growing up, you know, Hank Aaron's the biggest baseball star. Uh, he's going to be the home run king. And when you're a young kid and you hear someone called a king, that, that means something, right? So, and, and he, was, he, was a, he was a black man. And I think about the teams that I grew up rooting for. I look at the Golden State Warriors at the time. The head coach was a black man and now adult. But the best player was a white guy in Rick Barry. Uh, the A's starting pitchers, you had Catfish, Hunter, Ken Holtzman, and Vita Blue mixed together, right? The Raiders, the two best wide receivers are Fred Blue. Fred Belitnikoff and Cliff Branch. I, I never, for us growing up in the Bay Area and seeing our sports teams and seeing representation from all over, I think that really impacted how, at least for me, and I can only speak for me, how I grew up, never even thinking about any, uh, somebody not being able to do something because of the color of their skin, because I didn't see that. I saw everybody get every opportunity, especially for the sports teams that I loved. Yeah, think about me growing up in San Diego. During that time, who were the biggest... You know, as a little kid, 
who are the two biggest baseball stars to play for the Padres? I'm guessing Dave Winfield. Who's the other Padre at that time? Well, no, and then later on was Tony Gwynn. He was Mr. San Diego. Yeah, I mean, those are the two biggest Padres of all time are Tony Gwynn and Dave Winfield. And you just never thought twice about it, right? No. I mean, it's like he's Tony Gwynn. I mean, you went to, you know, you went to a game, you got two hits every game. I mean, you didn't think about anything else. I mean, the guy was a hit machine. I mean, I was real little with Winfield. And then the other guy you could throw in, too, was Ozzie Smith. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you know, and you're, and you're obviously with the A's, you know, Ricky Henderson and Dave Stewart. Was representation, it was never an issue, uh, at least for the sports teams that, that we were lucky enough to follow. And then across the bay, what, the three greatest giants are Mays, Bonds, and McCovey. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it, it does shape shape you as a, as a kid and, and your thoughts. If, if you see something when you're young, and see somebody get denied something because of their race or their religion or something, it could stick with you. And luckily, for most of, of my youth growing up, I wasn't, I didn't see any of that. I, I got to see everybody get every opportunity. And yeah, I was too young to understand some things that were going on. That's a given. But I'm, I'm happy that I was shielded from some of that because it, it definitely has changed the way that I think about things. I, I don't think about things in terms of race or color or creed. Great stuff, as always. Another outstanding top 10 list. Be safe with you and your family, buddy, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Tony. Be well. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.